Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Roger, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all of our work at texasfootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can follow us on Twitter at DCTF. You can follow us on Instagram, Dave Campbell's. You can really find us anywhere. And we got a special guest today, ESPN Sam Conley. Sam, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Well, and we're here today at uh, THACA Coaching School, where I guess just finishing up now, right? Yep, this is the last day I think all the coaches are checking out. <laughs> yeah, actually, right now, we're recording this, it's 11.54. I bet you a bunch of them are checking out of the Hilton and the Marriott Marquis right now. Well, I'll tell you, man, it was funny walking through the lobby, because we were staying at the Hilton, because, you know, we're rich or whatever. And so we, uh, <laughs> it's weird just seeing all these coaches around all weekend, and then just everybody just at a checkout line this yep. morning yep <laughs> but you know i mean i guess it all makes sense yep. right? yeah everybody's going back home they got there's a couple for these high school coaches and the college coaches there are a few days left maybe about six seven eight days before all the kids report right and it's time to start camp so you got it or if you're if you're a certain high schools i guess you maybe got another week or so because some there's some that open a week after but uh you only got a little bit of time to enjoy <laughs> life before the craziness starts so they're gonna get home and hang out for a little bit more before everything gets going. Well, well I got to tell you, I, I think it's going to be very depressing to go back to uh, to real life because I'll tell you what, you walk around here and just like, oh, that's Matt Wells over there. Yep. Oh, Matt Rule's just chilling over there. Mm-hmm. You know, every assistant is everywhere. I mean, yep. we were just hanging out with all the Houston assistants in here earlier. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> it's going to really suck to have to go back and all of a sudden have to go through people to get in touch with yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's funny how that works. It, it's, it's more about really the head coach and what he wants and how he wants right. to control everything For in his sure. program. Uh, but when you come here, I see, you know, I ran into Drew Maringer and Corey Meekins while I was here. I've run into uh, all, like you said, all the Houston assistants, Tyron Carrier at Houston, who I've known for quite some time. Uh, you know, the, these guys uh, – I've known them for a long time, and, and I'm sure you've got some relationships with some of these guys, and uh, it's easy to walk up to David Wetzel and be like, hey, how's it going, or whatever. But, yeah, now we go back to a reality where the evil press must have barriers <laughs> put in front of them before you can interview anybody. Uh, can't, uh, can't give in to this fake news or whatever, right? So <laughs> Yeah. But, I mean, we, so we actually got a chance to, uh, to on, what was it, Sunday night, there was a big FBS coaches panel, mm-hmm. and, and it was actually a pretty cool experience to get all 12 FBS coaches from the state of Texas right there in one place. And uh, they talked a lot about straight line recruiting, which is obviously going to be something that you're going to keep hearing about over, over the next couple of months and next couple of years because it's really become a priority from the Texas High School Coaches Association. And, um, you know, and what do you think? I mean, the funny thing, obviously, when, when you hear about all this stuff is that you can't help but think about when Jimbo Fisher first got here mm-hmm. and how, you know, the first thing he did was he went and met with the trainer. Yep. And and all of a sudden, you know, I mean, you counter that with guys like Matt Wells, like Matt Rule, who come in and all of a sudden sort of start saying all the right things. And and now, obviously, you know, Jimbo's kind of been put in his place a little <laughs> bit. But <laughs> I don't know, it's kind of a funny event just to – because everything that they do is just so straight-line recruiting, straight-line recruiting. Yeah. No, it's funny you mentioned that. And this kind of came about, this SLR, straight-line recruiting campaign. It came about not long after I did a story last year about uh, Jimbo Fisher's arrival and just really the politics of recruiting the state of Texas. I, I like to say that Texas recruiting is its own ecosystem because – 
high school football here is different than it is in almost every other state in the way it's run, in the way the programs are run, the coaching staff sizes, the stadiums, the way they look and the amount of money invested in them. The fact the athletic periods are still a thing, whereas in a lot of schools around the country, uh, districts have gotten rid of those. Uh, but in Texas, they have endured. And so it's a little bit different here because the high school coach has some significant power and, and they like to wield it. And so uh, the Texas High School Coach Association has no doubt been aware of the rise of influence from seven-on-seven seven coaches, personal trainers, and, and other people that are involved in the young man's recruiting. But at the end of the day, the college coach's job is to get in touch and have a relationship with not just the prospect, but everybody who's critical to that prospect's decision-making. Uh, I talked to Tom Herman about that last year, and Tom said, he goes, look, we obviously want to make the high school coach the priority, and, and they're always going to be the most valuable resource for us. He goes, but we have an obligation to have a great relationship with every key member of that person's inner circle because that's how you build trust in a relationship. And so uh, I don't blame Jimbo Fisher one bit when he got here. The first thing he did, the first day of recruiting on the job at XAM, he went and visited Gary Joseph, the state championship winning coach at Katy High School, and also a uh, prominent member of the Texas High School Coach Association. And then that, later that night, he went and saw Rokane Simon at uh, Fast 7-on-7. Seven seven. Because guess what? Rokane Simon has a lot of big-time prospects in Fast Houston. So it's 7-on-7 seven seven program. So there was – it. I think for the college coaches, I understand why they do it because you ultimately have to win. You have to get the best players in order to win, and you're going to do whatever you can to get the best players. For the high school coaches, I understand why they are doing what they are doing, but at the same time, I feel like it's going to be a difficult battle because I feel like the cat's a little bit out of the bag at this point. Yeah, well, and I think that we've seen it, obviously, with basketball recruiting. You know, mm -hmm. AAU coaches are almost making decisions for guys in a lot of cases and, and negotiating things with, you know, shoe companies or whatever, and we're seeing all this happen right in front of our eyes right now in federal courts. Um, you know, and, and I can't remember the guy's name for the life of me. It, it was something Neely, the UTEP recruiting director. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was kind of funny. He actually got up and was like, hey, coaches, you know, yes, obviously, you know, we want you to be the front of it. But, you know, if you're a high school coach and your kid's working with a personal trainer and maybe has somebody who's a little bit sometimes even too influential in your life, go out and meet him, get a chance to know him too. And, and I was looking at Dana Dimmel while he was saying that, and he was gritting his teeth a little bit because, mm -hmm. you know, you want to say all the right things in those moments. But, yeah, it, it is kind of interesting because, like you said, the cat's out of the bag. I mean, you know, Demon Demas is working with, you know, a trainer. And if you're going to land Demon Demas, you gotta you got to work with the trainer too in mm -hmm. addition to the high school coaches. No doubt. And I will tell you this, I want to say this, and I say this honestly as somebody who's dealt with everybody across all the spectrums. Not every seven-on-seven seven coach is, is a bad influence. Not every trainer is a bad influence. And not every Texas high school coach is necessarily a good influence. The vast majority of them are. But just like in every walk of life, there are a lot of good ones and there are some bad ones. There are there's a lot of Texas high school coaches who are going to put their interests before the kids in some cases. Not, not a ton, but I've certainly come across some over the years. I'm not going to name any, but I've, I've come across some over the years that don't really have interest in dealing with the recruiting part of it. I think it's a lot more fewer, few more, fewer and fewer these days, but, but I remember 10 years ago when I covered high schools, you know, I would ask a coach about a kid's recruitment and he wouldn't know, or he was like, oh, I don't deal with that. And to me, that's part of, if, you're, if your young men want to go to the next level, that's part of dealing with it. So I think in some ways, some of these coaches have helped fill, the 7-on-7 seven seven and, and coaches and trainers have helped fill a void. That said, I do think it is good and it is 
positive to have the Texas high school coach at the center of this because they are the ones who are going to spend a lot of time around the prospects. So I don't see that there's a problem with that. But I, I think the, the part where we get into a problem is when we're casting the parties with one blanket statement or one blanket sentiment. And I just don't think that's a good thing to do. But to, to your point about having to keep a relationship, I think it's positive for them to keep it. And I think you have seen more coaches. I'll think of one as Jeff Fleener, who is at Mesquite High, who mm-hmm. uh, was uh, the former offense coordinator at uh, Allen High when Kyler Murray was there, also a former head coach at San Antonio Brandeis. Uh, Jeff, I remember he and I had this conversation. He said, you know what? He goes, I try to work with those guys. I try to make sure I have relationships with the guys who are working with my kids when I'm not around them because it just makes things easier because then you know what? They can help us. And I know a lot of uh, coaches and trainers that have also said that they try to establish relationships with the high school coaches because they want to be sure they're working on stuff to help make their player better but also make the programs better because ultimately, you know, the the judgments are going to be made on these kids when they're playing on Friday night and Saturday night. So in the, the best way to get that judgment is if they're helping their teams win. And so you're going to want to do uh, what helps that kids win, help the kid win. So ultimately everybody at the end of the day, I don't, it doesn't matter what kind of coach you are or what kind of uh, influence you have. I think the most important thing is that the prospect is at the center of it and that that prospect's interests are placed first above everyone else. Yeah. And I think that you, one of the perfect situations that you kind of look at with that is, is like the situation with Huddle quarterback Chase Griffin last year. You know, he's a, He's a big-time quarterback camp kid, right? Mm-hmm. He works with George Whitfield. He's mm-hmm. been working with him since he was, like, eight years old. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Brad LaPlante, the, the coach over at, at Hutto, you know, kind of embraces that. And Chase also, you know, is a, is a special kid in his own right, you know, which helps. But, like, you have the private coach working over here. You have the coach working with him. And Hutto has a great season. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And it's – I think the extra work is good. Uh, I think it's it's good for the prospect. And, and let's be honest, the, the high school coaches have a lot of responsibilities. They have a lot of kids. I mean, if you're in a 6A program, you probably have anywhere between 200 to 400 kids from 9 through 12. For and sure. you've got assistant coaches. You've got junior high coaches. You've got middle school programs you've got to keep track of that, that feed into your school. There's a lot there. You may, and in a lot of cases in Texas, you're the athletic director. So you've got other sports to go to and other things to attend, administrative things to deal with. So you're not, you don't always have all the time for every kid on that roster. It's just, it's just physically impossible because you have a family to deal with too. And, and you, have, you have so many responsibilities. So I think what it has helped is for kids who want to spend the extra time and want to be better uh, being with a, a seven-on-seven team or being uh, with a personal trainer throughout the year has helped uh, sharpen these guys' skills. And I think it's been a positive for them because it, it keeps them doing something. It keeps them working, keeps them getting better, keeps them passionate about it. The one thing I would uh, caution about it, though, and uh, this is from a different sport, but I think it's an important topic. And I was talking with him uh, recently when I was in, in Grapevine. Baxter Holmes wrote a piece for ESPN.com about youth basketball and how many young men's bodies are broken down by the time they get to the NBA because of how much they're playing year-round. And more uh, the consensus among, amongst medical professionals uh, who specialize in, in sports medicine, it's pretty much unanimous, is that specialization in one sport is detrimental to a kid's body. And so uh, I, I did a, a story about 10 years ago when I was at Houston Chronicle about Tommy John uh, surgeries amongst high school pitchers because that rate was increasing. And it has continued to increase over the years. Why? Because kids are throwing the ball so much. The kids who are playing basketball, their hips and their knees are, uh, you know, getting they're taking more stress than they really can at that age. And the same thing with football, I think. I don't think we've seen it as much yet with football because – 
uh, this explosion of, of off-season year-round football work has really been in the last five, six years, but I think you're going to start to see uh, kids when they get to college may have some similar issues because if they're, all they're doing year-round is football, I think it's a challenge. So I've always been a proponent as I've seen it, read the research, done the studies, talked to people, and talked to lots of players who have gone successfully in, in college and, and professional sports, is that it's, it's better not just to do football, but if you do football, do track in the offseason or do baseball or do basketball, something that's different that gets other body parts moving because I think that could become a problem uh, if you're doing it just all the time. I mean, Kyler Murray was a two-sports star, you know, I mean, and he was the number one pick in the NFL draft. Well, and what somebody said was 29 of the 32 first-round picks in this past year's draft played another sport in high school. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's just ultimately better. And, and you learn other skills. You learn footwork. You learn how to move, things like that, that are going to help you in football. But anyway, we're in the city of Houston. We're going to talk some Houston college football so let's start with the U of H. Mm -hmm. So we got a chance today to meet with a whole bunch of assistants. Yes, sir. So, so Dana actually, uh, instead of coming out himself, he was like, yeah, I'm just going to send six guys out here today. Da Dana, prob Dana probably went to have an early lunch. Well, I, I remember seeing yesterday that, uh, <laughs> that Duarte tweeted out at like 1230 mm -hmm. that um, Dana was doing a session and, and, <laughs> and that, uh, that Dana was like, yeah, I just woke up like an hour ago and drove here. Yes, <laughs> so, that is very Dana you know, Holgerson. You know, I mean... I know that he's happy to be back. I yes. know that he's happy to be at a place that really wants him. Yes, and, absolutely. And I think that, you know, just talking to everybody around here, you know, I got a chance to talk to uh, to Jake Spavadol, who's worked with him, you know, talking to Clarence McKinney over at Texas Southern, talking to some other guys. I mean, it's just very clear that, you know, Dana was ready for a change. Mm -hmm. And obviously the city of Houston was a big part to do with that too. No doubt. He, he there were two things I think for Dana ending up from West Virginia, Houston. One, I think he reached a natural separation point with West Virginia. He had been there eight years. They just had their best team in terms of roster and had their best shot in his time there when in the big 12 this last year, it didn't work out. I think he knew what was coming back or more importantly, what was not coming back from a roster standpoint. And you, you heard rumblings uh, as you talk to people in the industry that maybe there was some friction between him and people in the administration there. Uh, and I think some fans had hoped that maybe he would accomplish a little bit more than he did. You know, I think they were certainly hoping that he would win a Big 12 title this year. And so, you know, certainly there's some segment of the West Virginia fan base that I feel like wasn't, you know, they were okay with him moving on. He had been there for a long time. And I think just with a lot of coaches, uh, there's there's a certain amount of time that I, that I think you can do at a place and then you know people want change is just kind of how things go but and the, the other big part of it was the city of Houston Dana came here as an offense coordinator under Kevin Sumlin and he really liked the place he's grown grown some really deep relationships and friendships with people in here uh, those of you who read Ross Dellinger's story in Sports Illustrated this spring have learned about the Houston Mafia <laughs> all, that's all of uh, Dana's circle of friends here that he gets to hang out with and Dana gets to do what he wants to do which is he wants to coach ball and he wants to hang out with his buddies and kind of just live his social life the way he wants to live it. And he gets to do that here in Houston where he can go out and no one's not going to really care who that he's out because guess what? There's 6 million people in the metro area in right. Houston. And there's some guys with higher Q ratings than Daniel Holgers and most importantly, <laughs> somebody like James Harden or J.J. Watt <laughs> just that? on the sports. <laughs> exactly. Just on the sports scene. So, I mean, those guys are going to get mobbed way before Dana does. I mean, if, if you put a picture of J.J. Watt, James Harden and Dana, well, there's going to be a lot of people in Houston going to be like, who's that third guy? Uh, <laughs> who's, yeah, that who's, the who's the bald <laughs> who's the guy with flip flops on? But, uh, but 
you know, Dana can blend in here, right. and that's a big that's a big selling point for him. He can be happy, and I think he's chosen that quality of life at this stage in his career is really important. But also, he knows that he can win at Houston because Houston has shown a track record in their conference that they can compete annually to win the conference. They can compete for a New Year's Six Bowl, and they can beat out some teams for some really big recruits. Uh, Ed Oliver, by the way, went here and was a first-round pick. So you can do a lot of things at Houston that uh, not necessarily are easier if you're in the middle of the pack in a Power 5 conference. Well, yeah, and, and on top of that, I mean, we, we got to talk to, to Clarence McKinney, who, again, Texas Southern, they're a big-time bounce-back program. You know, I mean, I, I can't remember if, you, if it was you or someone else who, who kind of we were talking and said, you know, this is the real last chance you. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so Houston, though, being an FBS program, they really hit that hard, too. They do. You know, uh, Jordan Moore, right, it was the kid from Texas A&M who transferred there. You know, you get Isaiah Chambers, the kid from TCU, Mm -hmm. who's now going to be their best defensive lineman. Uh, You know, this is a program where, especially for kids from the city of Houston, and and you see it with SMU a lot uh, in Dallas, with North Texas in Dallas, but in Houston, when you have kids coming back, I mean, there's no better place to come Mm -hmm. than the University of Houston. No doubt. I I, I remember even when Kevin Sumlin, I covered his program when he was here at Houston, and uh, they they made a point to try to get some guys to come back and and I think that's been a theme as as University of Houston has risen from the depths of what they were in the early 2000s. Uh, one thing that they have become attractive for is a place for people who left the state and maybe didn't find a great situation or just for whatever reason wanted to come back home and play and found that they have a good place to play here. And so that that's the thing Dana I think has said to his staff if we lose out on a recruit make sure to maintain that relationship because just because we lose now when they're a high school senior, they may still be interested in coming back in two years if they decide to transfer. And that's an important, I think Dana understands that. Dana understood that West Virginia, they took a lot of transfers there and that are going to do a lot of that here too. Uh, It's not going to be the majority of what they do. They're still going to make their bones in the Houston high schools, East Texas, Dallas, Fort Worth, Louisiana. But that when you're trying to fill in some key spots, if you're thin at a certain position, or there's just a really attractive player that, for whatever reason, doesn't work out and wants to leave, uh, that they can find him a place there at Houston. And I, I think Dana's going to embrace that and lean into that, especially early on as they try to fill some gaps in the roster that he may feel that they have right now. When it comes to, I guess, just the best way to describe it is roster construction. I mm-hmm. mean, we talked to a lot of coaches the last couple of days. Dana Dimmel at UTEP, you know, Mike Bloomgren at Rice, uh, obviously, you know, Dana's staff, Texas Southern staff, a whole bunch of other programs who they're like, Matt Wells, even mm-hmm. at, at Texas Tech, they are being very aggressive in this grad transfer market and in this transfer market. So how do you think is the best way to kind of handle that when you're trying to divvy up scholarships, you're only allowed to have 25 guys mm-hmm. a year? How do you balance that, do you think? I, I think you just really honestly do it on a per-needed, on an as-needed basis because Ultimately, I don't think you can sustain a winning program doing it, taking large numbers of transfers every year. I think the research shows that more often than not, transfers don't turn out to be stars. And, and I mean, Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray are exceptions to the rule. So, but but they, in many cases, they can become a valuable contributor. So I, I think ultimately, all these schools are going to rely heavily on the high school recruiting and the inroads that they build in this state and beyond, and that's going to be the most of your roster. But when you get a spot, if you graduate a couple extra guys or you lose a couple guys to transfer somewhere else, you hit some major injuries, the guys medically retire, things like that, you're going to have to hit that transfer market and get somebody, whether it's a JUCO transfer 
a traditional transfer or a grad transfer. And so I think the grad transfer thing is really interesting because that's become a deal where you can kind of come in and contribute immediately because A, you don't have to sit out, and B, you've probably had some experience. You've at least, at the very minimum, had a lot of experience practicing in a, in a program. And if you're a grad transfer coming to a place like Houston or Texas Tech, you've probably, you know, coming from a, another comparable either Power 5 program or Group of 5 program. So I think you are, uh, I think it's definitely something that coaches are going to use, but I don't think they're going to overuse it. And there, it, uh, some of it depends on where you are, too. Like if you're in Houston or you're in DFW, if you're like, you know, North Texas or, or SMU or TCU and you can recruit that your area the most, you're going to probably going to rely less on it. If you're in a place like Lubbock or you're in a place like El Paso where it's a little bit further, it's a little bit harder to get, you can't just drive there easily. Uh, those places I think may have to rely on them a little bit more, take a little bit more gambles because uh, it, it is just a little bit more of a challenge to recruit the top high school kids when you're at those places just by distance alone. Yeah. Well, I got to say, I, I love the defensive coordinator hire that uh, that Dana made. He takes Joe Cawthon away from, from Arkansas State. And what they're really known for at Arkansas State is just aggressiveness. Mm -hmm. I think they were saying two years ago in 2017, that year that Alabama just had 50 billion interceptions for touchdowns, uh, they were number two in, in touchdowns by their defense and special teams. So this, this is a defense that really wants to get after it. And, uh, and, I mean, again, after the last couple of years, you have Ed Oliver, you have some other talented players who are playing in the NFL now, but it just wasn't a difference maker. No doubt. And I think the one thing is, is U of H went through a little bit of a transition over the years. You know, I remember under Art Browse and Kevin Sumlin, they, they really struggled to stop teams. And I think the, Sumlin's last year they started to really come around. And then under Tony Levine, after he hired David Gibbs, they really started to become a turnover machine and started to be able to get stops. Todd Orlando, when he was here with Tom Herman, started to really do some really elite things, and they became one of the best run-stopping teams. Uh, as personnel has changed over time, like Ed was a great disruptor, but you know they haven't necessarily been quite as elite, uh, I think, as they were at their peak. And so they're definitely going to have to try some different things. And I think the one thing with Dana understands is Dana's been in an air raid offense for a long time. He understands that you're not going to shut teams down to you know less than 300 yards a game. You're going to give up some yards. You're going to give up some points. But the most important things are going to be turning the ball over and getting after the passer. If you can do those two things, you're going to be in pretty good shape, especially if you're going to run an offense like his and be able to score a lot of points. Because you don't, it doesn't matter if you win a game 45 to 35. All that matters is you win. And so uh, I think Cawthon and what they were doing at Arkansas State, they had a, one of the nation's sack leaders last year. I, I think that's a critical part for Dana in this defense because, uh, again, if you, if you can hassle the passer, you can harass him, and you can force him turnovers – that gives you a really, really good chance to win a game knowing that your offense has the capability to score 40 points every time out. Let's go over for a minute to the other uh, Houston team in the FBS, Rice. So Mike Bloomgren comes in. He's obviously the offensive coordinator from Stanford. Uh, you know, first year, it's, it's a tough system to learn. It's mm -hmm. a tough system to, to develop. So I guess my biggest question with Rice is, can they get enough offensive linemen to play the way that they want to play? I think so. I, I think especially in this state, you know, it, it's the the question for me, I guess, is interior linemen. But but the way Texas, the state of Texas, develops talent, I think it definitely at the tackle spot you'll be able to do. It. And I think I think center is a spot that you'll be able to find some guys. So I I do think they'll get there. It just takes time, you know. And you know, they mentioned uh, Jerry Mack, their offensive coordinator, mentioned they took a couple transfer 
linemen in this year to integrate in. I think that's going to probably help them stem the tide a little bit, you know, until they can develop some of the guys that they've already recruited. And they're, they're going to – it's just – that's a position that is so hard at the college level to play as a true freshman and do well. So, you I mean, you can't just, like, recruit a bunch of guys and stick them in. Like, at a, at a receiver spot, you can do that here in Texas because the level of receivers you recruit in the state of Texas are fantastic and, and the learning curve is a little bit different. But when you're talking about the physical guys that you're going against on, on the other side, the defensive linemen you're going against that are going to be 22-year-old guys, you can, it's hard to stick a 19-year-old offensive lineman in there. So you've got to find a way to, to make it happen. But I think Bloomgren, from a uh, schematic standpoint, and he's got his own track record as an offensive line coach, uh, and I think the vision that he has for this program, having experience at a place like Stanford, I think he's going to be able to get this place recruited well. Right now, their current 2020 recruiting class is doing pretty well, and and I got you've got to give Bloomgren and his staff a lot of credit for that because uh, it is not easy to recruit at the, at Rice because of some of the because of their high academic status, and it, it eliminates some of the players that you're going to be able to chase. But he's got the experience because he's been in a place like that at Stanford. So I think they will get there eventually. It's just going to take some time and some patience from, from the Rice fan base. Yeah, I, I think that it was interesting because they seem to really embrace the idea that being offered by Rice, being offered a scholarship to Rice is a big deal. No doubt. Because what you, what you see a lot of the time is – with some of the, you know, the group of five schools, for example, they're handing out a lot of early offers. You know, UTSA is pretty aggressive with early offers. Uh, Texas State's pretty aggressive with early offers. Uh, Rice has only offered 60 kids mm-hmm. in 2020. Mm-hmm. And, th- you know, they, they were saying out of the 60 kids, 15 have committed to us. You know, and, and I think it's just such a unique challenge. Uh, and I was talking to Mike Bloomberg earlier this week at Conference USA Media Days. Um, he was talking about, you know, when he was looking at jobs to take, he wanted one of those top flight academic schools. Mm-hmm. You know, he wanted uh, the, the ones that I think he gave me were Stanford, Duke, uh, Northwestern, Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt, and Rice. Like, those were the five that he were like, these are the academic titans. And it's interesting, you know, to, to find a guy who really sort of embraces trying to deal with the challenges of doing that. No doubt. And, and I think, again, having been in it, and haven't seen it done at a high level at Stanford. I mean, that's it proves that it can be done. I think the the biggest challenge again is is just patience because it takes a lot of time. And they went. Remember, they they were spreading it out. They were doing different things under David Bailiff. And so, per, when you make a personnel change like that, you saw it at Arkansas when Arkansas into Chad Morris went from Brett, Brett Bielema was a more ground and pound style to Chad Morris is who wants to do up tempo and spread receivers are all over the field. That that takes a couple of years to get because you just just to get the pieces right, just to get the the personnel correct because the body types you may be looking for may not be made immediately available on the roster. So it takes some time, and then also Rice had just struggled. You know they had fallen down to some depths toward the end of the Baylor affair, and so it became really tough on them. And but but they have potential because you've seen it. You saw them win ten games a couple times and go to bowl games and uh, you know you know compete and win conference championships there under bailiff so i think uh, the potential is definitely there and especially with this city with the area they're in the rice you know west university area is beautiful and just the recruiting base you have it is definitely possible to do it it just takes and and they're not and again rice is not going to recruit just locally they're going to have to recruit nationally because of their uh, i think this is the first time i've ever heard somebody say we're taking a transfer from harvard you know <laughs> that was that <laughs> was definitely unique yeah exactly so i mean it, it's it's a different animal but it is one that i think bloomgren's a perfect guy for and i love the staff he's put together and i think they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna get it done it's just gonna take some time 
Okay, we'll, we'll close with this. So, so there's sort of a bottom tier right now in the FBS in the state, right? There's Rice, UTSA, UTEP, Texas State. When you look at that group, who is the team, let's say next year, is the most likely to break out of that group, do you think? I'm just going to go with Texas State because I know what Jake Spavadol and Zach Spavadol can do. I, I know where they've been. You know, Jake has been at West Virginia, at Texas A&M, at University of Houston, at Cal. He's seen it done by a lot of different guys. He's worked with a lot of great guys. And uh, Zach Spavadol has been at Houston, at Texas Tech, at Oklahoma. You know, they... Uh, I think those two together are going to do really well at Texas State. I, I, don't, I don't think they're necessarily going to win a conference championship or compete for it right away, but, but I do think they're going to win some games that they shouldn't you know, right off the bat, and I think they're going to have a really positive first season there. I, I think long-term, that's a great fit for, for them, both for the Spavadols and for Texas State. I think that, that's a place that you can recruit to. Uh, it's really favorably located, and uh, their reputation's recruiting. They've been recruiting this state for more than a decade, and so those relationships are long built and hard earned. And I think they're going to do a fantastic job. Their reputations around the state are very strong amongst high school coaches. So I think they're they're going to do very well. And I, I think they're just really good ball coaches. I mean, I, I've seen you know Zach you know do his work on defense both as with linebackers and with secondary guys. I think him being able to call defense for the first time is going to be a great great chance for him. And Jake has you know worked with tons of great quarterbacks. You go down the list: Case Keenum, Johnny Manziel, Geno Smith. Uh, he's worked with some Will Greer. He's worked with some really, really good ones. So I mean, he knows what it looks like. He knows what a great offense is supposed to look like. Uh, of course, he's worked with Sumlin and Holgerson and lots of others. So I think uh, I think that program is going to be on the way up in a hurry. Awesome. Well, hey, college football season's only about a month away. Mm-hmm. Have you have you worked out your week one schedule as yet? No, we haven't finalized it. But man, it's going to be busy because yeah. we got a lot going on. <laughs> we got Texas A&M on a Thursday. We got right. Auburn and Oregon at Jerry World on a Saturday. And we got Houston and Oklahoma on a Sunday. Yeah. I don't know if I'll be at all three, but there's a distinct possibility I could. Be. I, I'm trying to work it out. You know, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll peek behind the curtain. I'm, I'm having a hard time, mm-hmm. right? Because that Sunday game, Houston and Oklahoma. That's that's the best game of the weekend if you're going to talk about the Texas mm-hmm. teams, right? Like. By far, by mm-hmm. far. Now, it might be a bloodbath, but it's still going to be, a, you know, the best game of the weekend. Mm-hmm. I'm so intrigued by that UTSA Incarnate Word game. Ah, yes. It's, and, and it's like, oh, uh, And that, that's just like such a Dave Campbell's game, too. Yes, very much so. And, and then also, obviously, you got Spab going back to A&M. Mm-hmm. That's tons of fun. And it's like, if I go down south, mm-hmm. I can't get back up to Oklahoma. Yeah. I'm just yeah. not doing it. Yeah. It, it's all right. I, I will tell you this. I, I'm, if, if I end up doing the triple header, the A&M, Auburn, Oregon, uh, Oklahoma, Houston triple header, I'm going to probably either fly to Dallas. I'll probably fly to Dallas and then drive from Dallas to yeah. or Arlington to, uh, to Norman. But uh, I do not intend to drive. No. Thing, no way. The funny thing, right, is like whenever – you know, I'm from Dallas, right, mm-hmm. and, and we're up in DFW, and so – I think of like, all right, you know, the Oklahoma trip's four hours, mm-hmm. but if you start going anywhere south, Mm-mm. then it's like, what is it, nine hours from here? Yeah, it's from Houston and Norman's about eight, oh, and so, yeah, I, I, I do not. <laughs> I've driven to Lubbock before from, like, oh, Austin, man. and yeah. I would not recommend it, so, uh, <laughs> so I, I've made those long, long treks before. I actually, one time I drove uh, to Fayetteville uh, and, and back, like, or I went to, actually, no, I went from Houston to D- I went and stopped in DFW and checked on uh, TCU-SMU. Then I went to Tulsa, and then I went to Fayetteville, and then I drove all the way back 
down to Austin, oh and then I gosh. went to Lubbock. That was one. Oh. That was one like week long stretch oh, uh, in 2014 to see a bunch of schools. And uh, let me tell you, I again I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> well, luckily you're big time now. You can fly out to <laughs> stuff. So Sam, thank you so much no for problem. joining us. Uh, how can we follow your your work? Uh, Scon Junior on my Twitter. If anything that I write is worth a damn, I will post it on my Twitter. S <laughs> K H A N J R. Awesome. Well, Sam, thank you for, so much for joining us. Thank you again to our sponsor, North Texas Honda Dealers. Uh, you can, again, find all of our work at TexasFootball.com. You can find us on Twitter at DCTF. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbells. And, uh, yeah, make sure and check us out, and we'll talk to you again next week.